With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Nobody. So they took maybe 20 bucks and an old watch? Mr. Madsen, did you even take a swing? No. Could have taken her, Dad. Heard you had some excitement last night. I wish they'd have picked my place, you know? Why didn't you take him out? I was just trying to keep the damage to a minimum. Yeah, how's that working out for you? You're okay, because you don't look okay. There's a long dormant piece of me that so very badly wants out. What are you still doing here? Old man. I'm gonna fuck you up. It's been a hell of a day. You can see that. For 12 years. I work for some very dangerous people. Everybody get to the basement. What is happening? Don't call 911. I used to be what they call an auditor. The last guy anyone wants to see at their door. Because it meant you didn't have long to live. But I left it behind to start a family. Hey, hey! I might have uh, overcorrected. When you left, you abandoned a certain debt that needs repayment. And your creditor is aware of your resurrection. They came after my family. They stole my kitty cat bracelet. And you don't fucking do that. Give me the goddamn kitty cat bracelet. You look like shit, Dad. You should see the other guys. Who the fuck are you? Me? I'm nobody. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Nobody, and the story is as follows. A bystander who intervenes to help a woman being harassed by a group of men becomes the target of a vengeful drug lord. The film is starring Bob Odenkirk, Connie Nelson, Riza, Alexei Serebikov, and Christopher Lloyd. It is directed by Ilya Nashuler and written by Derek Kolstad. Here to join me today for this podcast review from In Session Film and from Awards Watch, I have Ryan McQuaid. Hello, Matt. And also to join us here today as a guest on the show, returning back from Bakersfield Life Magazine, we have Emma Sasek, everyone. Hello, everyone. All right, everyone. Are you guys ready to talk about John Wick Chapter 4? I mean, uh, nobody? 
Well, when you put it like that, yes. <laughs> In all seriousness, this is written by uh, Derek Kolstad, who has written the other John Wick movies. So there is a formula here that we are following. And it is a formula that, quite frankly, based on the trailers, when I initially saw um, the premise for this movie, I said to myself, okay, I'm not here for a retread of the John Wick storyline, but I am definitely here for my man, Saul Goodman, Bob Odenkirk, or the dad in Little Women. <laughs> I am here to see him in anything that he does, honestly. I was uh, thinking about what is the last time I, what is the last film that I saw Bob Odenkirk in? And it was his, what, 3.6 second interaction with the March sisters in Little Women. And this is a very different role compared to that one. Oh, yeah. No, in that one, he's uh, hugging his family, my little women, you know, all of that. And this one, he is not doing shit for his family, not protecting <laughs> them. And then he's saying, oh, my little fists. <laughs> You making lasagna in this thing? The guy's guy guy showing some more range, at least in this guy. It's like, to be fair. In regards to, you know, just initial thoughts, right? When I first saw the marketing for this movie, I had very, very low expectations. But we're in a mode right now where theaters are slowly starting to reopen again. We are uh, pretty much across the finish line in terms of one year from the day that theaters closed uh, across the country. So they're either uh, reopening permanently, they're at a certain level of capacity, uh, some are still closed, but I think movies like this are the movies that we've been missing predominantly over the last year. Mm -hmm. And even if, you know, let's just say, it, you know, theaters never had shut down and it was just a ton of these movies coming out like on a weekly basis, I can understand how in that situation we might be tired of them. We might be looking for something a little bit different with more originality, something that really kind of meets our heightened expectations. But right now, and this is no offense to this movie, I think expectations are very low and we're all just kind of craving the bare minimum right now. So nobody, for those out there that just want a high octane, adrenaline pumping action film from the guy that did Hardcore Henry, that's really what our expectation is. We're not asking for anything more than that. Plot, story, character, it's kind of like, you know what? I got We got ourselves a lot of plot, character, and story over the last year with some Oscar contenders, indie dramas, and so on and so forth. Now at this point, I just want some blockbuster action, so just give it to me. <laughs> so does nobody deliver on that front? Emma, what did you think? You know, actually, I wanted to touch base a little bit on the theater experience because this was my first movie coming back after, gosh, I think it was like June or July, whenever it was when Tenet came out. That was the first time yeah, I was able to yeah. go into a theater. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they closed shortly after. Um, but they reopened starting um, this past Thursday. And, you know, you could tell that people were like, get me out of my damn house. I do not care what I'm seeing. I will go see a triple feature of Ryan, The Last Dragon, The Croods movie, and nobody. Like, they were in there and ready to roll. Um, so despite, like, the social distancing going on in my theater and then blocking off a good majority of seats, I think it's, what, like 75% of seats were not used all of the seats that were available, like they were filled and people were ready to just watch something. Um, and I was ready too. I mean, I, before the pandemic, I would be going to a movie theater every single Saturday and maybe even on a Thursday night premiere 
just to get that feel and to see it on the big screen where I love seeing all movies on there. Um, and I was ready to see something. And, you know, normally I'm, I'm not an action, super gory, violent movie person. Um, but I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready to see something with Bob Odenkirk in it. And, you know, initially when I read the premise of this film and knowing what I know about Bob Odenkirk, which is I usually see him in comedic roles or um, a little women role where, you know, just a small supporting role and just a, a soft, soft, fun face guy to be in there to make you smile, to make you laugh. Um, picturing him in like a super violent action movie at first I was like, how is that going to work? But it actually did work. I mean, he just kind of fit the, he fit the character really well. Um, you know, in the beginning of the movie, he truly is a nobody. He just kind of goes through life, uh, you know, under the radar. Family isn't really paying attention to him, nor colleagues and coworkers and whoever else. But man, the guns are blazing later on after he uh, witnesses quite a traumatic event for his family. Um, and as the movie kept going, the gore and the intensity kept getting higher and higher. Um, and there were times where I kind of had to like close my eyes a little bit because it was a little too much to see some of the final destination kills going on in this movie. But <laughs> But overall, I mean... I enjoyed it. I loved being back in the theater. It was fun, a fun movie to watch with an, with an audience that were gasping and <gasps> doing all of those sound effects throughout the runtime. And I was one of them as well. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing that can really compare to that feeling of that, that communal feeling that you get when you're in the theater, like you said, mm -hmm. gasping, cheering, laughing. And I think that that is something that has been missing from a lot of our lives over the last year. And I think that's the aspect that no matter what the movie is, I mean, it could be, I don't know, Tom and Jerry for all I care. Quite <laughs> honestly, it's like, I just want to go back to the movie theater and experience that. I think this is the, I think this is the perfect kind of film to do that with. I'm, I'm not advocating that people should be going to the movie theaters right now. It's a personal choice. If you are vaccinated and comfortable by all means, but for those that do venture to the theater and they are watching this with a crowd, uh, this is definitely a hell of a good time. It's pretty harmless. At Well, <laughs> it isn't really harmless, actually. <laughs> but I, I agree with you that it definitely uh, provides that level of excitement and that energy that we've been sorely lacking uh, over the last year. Ryan, what about you? Um, how did you see it? Did you see it in the theater or did you see it at home? I wanted to see it in a theater. I was I was um, graced with the privilege of getting a screener for this film. So um, otherwise, I would have been like Emma. I would have been in the theater to see this film. Um, you know, it was really on like the priority to like, hey, I'll I'll venture back out to the theater because uh, Matt and I have talked back and forth, and he knows I have no qualms about it. My theaters have been open this entire time. I've gone to the theater oh, wow. a couple times. Yeah, I mean they've had. All the Oscar films on the big screen, you know, if I wanted to. Now I've, I've chosen to watch them at home, just out of convenience. Um, also because my my wife's like, yeah, I'm not going to a theater, uh, right now. But now that we're both vaccinated, you know, there is the urge to to want to go back. Uh, big films like even something like Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong, however it's being uh, 
marketed. Those are movies that I, I think that deserve and demand to be seen on a big screen with such a, a big audience and and uh, even if it's you know 25 50% capacity the big screen still matters and supporting those local theaters and all those people that are working there because the thing that is always lost in the conversation is there are people trying to work there as jobs and so mm-hmm. i think that people in the the industry forgets that but no man i was not able to see uh, the film sadly on the big screen and uh, it's good to hear that uh, people are sort of starting to trickle back and, and slowly but surely, uh, you know, everyone will go back to, to normalcy and stop being so stubborn a little bit about going back. And hopefully these theaters that are small can survive. But with nobody, I was interested from the screenwriter's perspective here. Derek Holstad is a guy that wrote and created the John Wick franchise and is a guy that. You know, when you when you see this trailer and you see sort of the, the shots and the images, you're like, oh, this this kind of has a John Wick feel. Well, it makes sense because it's written by the guy that made John Wick. <laughs> and it's you know, there were pieces this week about him sort of being uh, taken away from that franchise because it's so big now. The studio, you know, wants a little bit of a fresher take or, you know, a, a little bit of a jolt of energy for the next couple sequels. So he seemed to. A little bitter about it, mm-hmm. I will say. Um, even though he's still working with David Leach uh, and he still has good relationships with everybody over there, it's more—it seems more like a studio thing. So in comes, you know, Colstead to make sort of a similar template. Because what does this movie have, Matt? If not a guy who's semi-retired, he has a family life, right? That family life is interrupted by a home invasion, uh, and what sets all that off. Uh, is a is his lack of of being able to do anything. So he flips a switch, starts fighting the Russian mob. Um, there's a ton of kick-ass action as well as great cameo appearances, especially by older actors like Ian McShane in those films or Christopher Lloyd in this film. Yes. And the similarities are, are really great. But what stands out for John Wick is the performance from Keanu Reeves. And the sort of resurgence of him as the action star that we've known and loved and and grew up with with most of our childhoods. But Bob Odenkirk, we've never really seen this side of him before. We obviously know he has dramatic chops with Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. He's known for most of his life as Mr. Comedy, right? Mm -hmm. But this is really where we get to see Bob Odenkirk sort of blend both of those worlds and be an action star. And I think it's really effective. And the reason why it's effective is it gives you those little nuggets of a John Wick sort of world and sort of the underbelly and that there's a cool society that he used to work for and all these different things with the government. What's great about it is this movie flows. It moves real quick. It sets up its world. It does all of its stuff, whatnot. And it's 90 minutes and I'm in and out and I had a lot of fun. And look, I'm, I'm, I'm on record of really liking a certain four-hour film that went up to HBO Max a couple weeks ago. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, I think it's I think it's a good movie, but there is the thing throughout the world of superhero fatigue, and I still think that that's very viable in in movies that I've seen. And the great thing about the last year, Matt, is that we didn't have a lot of superhero stuff. And the minute we had superhero stuff, we've had two Marvel shows and a DC movie come out in a month and so span, mm-hmm. and it's not going to stop anytime soon. Oh no. And that's not what I want to see. I would rather see a, a knockoff version of John Wick that has a lot of fun kills, 
Home Alone style action death scenes in them <laughs> that was sort of like giddy and, and fun. Um, I'd rather see that or, you know, because I've said on record that Mission Impossible and John Wick are the best franchises currently in Hollywood, period, bar none, in a sentence. And the reason why is because they build their worlds, but they top themselves every time. And I don't think superhero films do that nearly as much. They reinvent themselves or they give it a darker sheen to their films, but they don't really necessarily top themselves. And I think that those films do. And I, and I think something even like a, a knockout version or John Wick light, as you could call nobody, still has a lot of heart, still has a lot of fun. It's not a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination, but it's one of those where it's like, you're like, Emma, if you can go back to the theater and see this, and this is your first theater-going experience back, barring you haven't seen an Oscar film in the theaters, I don't think it's a bad time at the theaters, and it's a lot of fun. Right. I think that's the thing I keep coming back to, is that the movie is fun. If I sit here and I think about it, and I actually apply uh, my brain logic to it, I do start to ask questions. (laughs) <laughs> and that's when my enjoyment starts to go down maybe a little bit too much. Yeah. I will start off by saying that uh, the directorial flourishes in this, I really, really enjoyed. They had kind of the Edgar Wright style of uh, quick bursts of like editing to show his daily um, life and his routine with family, work, wife and kids. And I kind of liked how the movie just drew us right in. You said before, Ryan, that the pacing of this movie, a lean, mean, 90-minute movie, get in, get out. It's no bullshit. It never slogs. I like that it kept up that pace the entire time. It also helps that Bob Odenkirk is cast against type here. So he is delivering something that we've seen glimpses of in some of his dramatic work in Better Call Saul. But here he gets to really fully embody um, some more of those serious dramatic acting chops. And it's funny because, Emma, you were mentioning uh, before how he's so unlikely for a role like this and he's mostly known for comedy. And mm-hmm. the first thing that came to my mind right away while watching this and thinking about Odenkirk's casting was one word and one word only. Barry. <laughs> That's true. It worked for Bill Hader. And I think it worked again here with Odenkirk because you look at the guy and you do not think that this guy is, as he is revealed later in the movie, to be this auditor who has these special set of skills, as Liam Neeson (laughs) would say. And he is ultimately a one man wrecking machine. Now, the smartest thing that this movie does, though, with that is it knows that you can't make a guy who looks like Bob Odenkirk into John Wick, who pretty much when you watch those movies, John Wick literally feels like he is inhuman. You know, they reference him as like the boogeyman and things like that. And he's like the angel of death. He's got a bulletproof suit. I think that says enough. (laughs) In Nobody, Bob Odenkirk gets the shit kicked out of him as much as he dishes it out to people. And he is bleeding he is bruised he is busted open i mean like this guy takes an ass whooping he is like the epitome of like i'm getting too old for this shit and he's like i cannot do this anymore and i love that i love that element here because it makes it so much more believable that this is a tough guy but he's not 
he's he's an average Joe still at the end of the day in a lot of different ways. You know, he's definitely more advanced than some of the people he's going up against, but he's still human. And that relatability of having a character that is human uh, on that level for us, you need an actor who is likable and has those qualities that we attach ourselves to who does not put up that brick wall and Odenkirk is definitely that type of person once again my little women and all the hugs you just want to give Bob Odenkirk a hug we love the guy you know Mm -hmm. so needless to say um that was probably like my favorite aspect of like drawing me into this and getting me emotionally connected to what is you know let's call it what it is it's a it's a weak storyline yeah yeah i think it, it's yeah. a it's a pretty weak and rote storyline very it's trite simple right very simple and i'll be honest too and i i'm sorry like because i know people don't want to talk about this but i i have to bring it up because of some of the violence that we um you know experience in this country uh far too frequently but there's a lot of nobodies out there who a spark sets off in their brain and they end up going on a violent, murderous rampage. Mm. And I had to, I had the question while watching the movie: is the movie, is the movie making light of that? Is it, is it kind of just taking that really scary and dark, troubling aspect of our society and having too much fun with it while not exploring any actual real world implications of what they're doing here? Yeah, because I mean, he's killing all these Russians, it's fine, apparently. That's but that, and, and, that's, and that's how the movie justifies it, right? He's protecting this woman on the bus. And, it does. But this idea of like something happening in his life that just sets things off, and it's like, oh, I've bottled this up inside me for so long, and I've never been able to kind of like unleash this. And then he like kind of just goes out looking for a reason to unleash this yeah. pent-up fury or i don't even know if it's so much like anguish uh, call it whatever you want to call it but it's like he has to get it out of his system somehow and he's looking for any reason to do so and it kind of sets off this chain reaction of the plot then with the russian mob so i got i got to admit you know just from a criticism standpoint i think there is an element of irresponsibility maybe with the screenplay in not not going deeper with that and maybe condemning it to a certain degree. Matt, do you have these, uh, and I'm, and I'm not um, getting on you or anything. I'm just, it's a general question. Do you have sure. these same sort of things when you watch the John Wick franchise? I do think about them for sure. Yeah. No. I, and I think that's fair. Cause there's a lot of yeah. fetishization mm-hmm. of guns. I mean, there's literally like a, in part two, a sommelier, mm-hmm. right. That's like, you know, the dinner, the main course. So like suits are, you know, like, can you get it like tactical and tailored and all these things? And I think the thing that sets John Wick apart, though, was that that was set off by a personal attack that was committed yeah. upon him by guys that we don't, you know, that we're not supposed to like. It's an absurdist premise of that. Sure. He is he is going on this murderous rampage because of the fact that they and against people that he used to work for, mind you, mm-hmm. um, because of the, and who are bad people. And he knows that. Because they killed his dog, right? Like, and I, and so I, I can see here, and when you, when you preface that, um, and saying there's a lot of nobodies out there, um, secret former U.S. military guys that are unhinged and and go off. Usually, a lot of these people that are are doing the gun violence, and I'm not trying to advocate it on each side, um, they are mentally uh, unstable young men who 
Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of the minutia that goes with it. Obviously, their their ability to get weapons um, uh, that can fire off hundreds of bullets or whatever in, in a matter of seconds and cause so much harm to so many people. Um, they, they, that's a problem as well as the, the mental health in this country and, and so much, so many different things around the gun violence issue. Right. Yeah. And it is interesting, like you're saying, Matt, that this is really the first big movie to come out when the theaters come open and it's this movie and no one's really talking about that. Right. Cause I don't think really a lot of people have, have sort of come and, and really talked about the ramifications of movies like this, unless it's John Wick. I heard that a lot when John Wick Chapter Three came out, um, but yet they are so they're it's almost like they're spy movies. I get the feeling though with the John Wick movies though that the reason why that always comes up and it comes up I feel like with most movies, um, you know, if The Raid, for example, was a blockbuster hit and had a bigger profile, I'm sure we would have heard it more about The Raid. I think if John Wick wasn't the high-grossing hundred million dollar franchise that it is. And yeah. it was like a smaller movie. Um, I don't think you would hear of this discussion. Look at um, the controversy that surrounded Joker when it came out. The reason why that was so loud was because that movie had a far reach and made over a billion freaking dollars. So, yeah. you know, if nobody, I do think the conversation on this is definitely going to be lower. And I want to be very, very clear that I think that there are going to always be people out there that when you have violent action films, you know, we hear it about video games. We hear it about, you know, music. People, there are always going to be people out there who think that entertainment will influence some sort of real world violence. And I have squashed that in a lot of other film reviews that we've done here today. I think it is bullshit because there's usually something in the storytelling that will justify and make it OK. And to your point, Ryan, those with sane, clear minds know the difference. And it's the people that are uh, mentally um, sick that we have to worry about. But with nobody... I do think that it is a little odd that it is a random home invasion that's not a personal attack and it kind of just sets something off in this guy and and that then is what triggers the plot with the Russian mob. It's not something that's like necessarily before that where with John Wick, as I mentioned before, it's more personal. So that's your justification. You know what I mean? You know what's interesting with this movie? Um, I was reading an interview with Bob Odenkirk about it and he actually had a home invasion happen to him a few oh, years God. ago. Yeah. And I mean, he did not speak too much about the incident in this interview whatsoever, but you can tell that, you know, the family has suffered so much trauma from that. I think it was, you know, just a totally random person, random act as it was in this movie. Mm. And the interviewer asked him, um, you know, have you ever wanted to like either do something about it? And he was like, of course. I mean, I want to protect my family. I want to take charge in a moment like that when you feel so powerless. And so, you know, he could actually personally relate to this character and just that incident that the family had to go through, which I, you know, once I read that, I was like, oh, wow, this is so much more for him. But of course, then, like you guys are saying, it stems off into a truly crazy sequence of events, especially that the bus scene where you're just like, oh, come on. These guys have already crashed their car really violent, violently into like a concrete barrier. I think they're beat up enough. Um, but, but yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's really, it's really bad timing 
following those two shootings that we just had, one in Atlanta and one in Boulder. And and if it even wasn't that, I'm sure there would be another one. So timing's always going to be unfortunate regardless in that regard. But like I said, I think if the home invasion that kind of sets off the chain reaction of events here was something that was more tied to the general plot and it was something that, you know, you can draw um, – a connection to the Bob Odenkirk character progression, where yeah. in this movie, it feels like he's just kind of blowing off steam <laughs> by picking the fight on the bus the way that he does. And I don't know if that's a something that we should be... I, I'm not saying it's... Here's what I'm going to also say, too. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be telling movies like this. I'm not saying that this is necessarily bad. All I'm doing is asking questions. That's all I'm <laughs> doing, is asking questions. Well, I think the film sort of sets itself up as you know to be John Wick light. Yeah. And a small thing can trigger something that has been pent up. I mean, we see a giant montage of him doing his mundane life basically yep. in retirement because of his wife. It's really like the I'm not saying it's the same thing, but it it's it's similar to that of like, you know, Mr. Incredible and the Incredibles, right? Mm-hmm. Going and doing these offhand missions even though he's supposed to not be doing them he's supposed to be in seclusion i'm just laughing at the fact that you said mr incredible and you know he was a part of mr show (laughs) (laughs) oh and he's and well and bob odenkirk is the villain or one of the people in the sequel yeah yeah um is that that the origin story for this maybe maybe, we'll never know Uh, but no it's but it is it, it is a a a story you know, sort of uh, device that has been used before. And I think also too, the, this is, this one hits a little bit because of the fact that it is that thing that like Emma was saying, it it is the ultimate thing that a, a, a man or a woman could feel very just disheveled about is the fact that they can't protect their family. Yeah. And that's really what it boils down to and sort of how he could have easily just hit the, the intruder and saved his family, but he doesn't. And his son gets hit, and, it, and it's a real act of shame. And I wanted to ask you a question about that really quick, um, because I don't know if the film actually like explores this. So I wanted to ask you guys and ask what you guys thought here. Do you think that he froze up in the moment because not because he had forgotten his abilities, but because he was afraid that if he did attack he would have probably have killed him. Mm. Um, I, 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 I questioned over and over, okay, why doesn't he protect his family? Is it because he's afraid that if he shows that he has these abilities, his family will start asking questions? Is it because once he does it, he's afraid that those violent tendencies will come out and he won't be able to keep them under control again? Or is it as simple as he tense and froze up because he's having this internal debate and he ended up doing nothing? And I just wanted to get your both of your readings on what you think happened there. That's a really good question. Um, You know, obviously they show, um, you know, like a few minutes later how he was like, I knew that there were no bullets in the gun. And it was like eagle eye zoom. And I'm like, yeah, okay, Bob Odenkirk can apparently see (laughs) like 120 vision apparently over here. Look, Um, the man has got a better vision plan than I do. And that's all I got to say. That's all I got to say about it. 
That's true. He came back from the war from Little Women with heightened vision. Um, <laughs> the movie's not just about gun violence. It's also about uh, United States health care as well. Yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah. and also it's a Little Women like sequel. It, it's a lot of things. There's a lot of context to this movie, guys. That we're just, we're just blending <laughs> this man's filmography at this point. Um, that's. I mean, yeah, that's a really good question. I wonder if it, maybe it's like a combination of all three, you know, not wanting to... You know, thinking that he put that life behind him and that he is, quote unquote, content with his very mundane life that he's living right now. And maybe he just does not want to get back into it. Or maybe he just did not want to escalate the situation even more, have that other guy harm his child even more, or do something worse. Who knows? Um, yeah, I'm a little stumped now. Why'd you do that to me, Matt? <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know what's a movie I thought that explored this exact uh, scenario and did it just a little bit better is David Cronenberg's A History of Violence. If you guys have never seen that. Yeah, I've seen that movie. I don't like that movie. But I think it explores that a little bit better. It does. That movie is very Cronenberg um, in that it takes some twists and it's – it's oh, that movie – why did you bring it up, Matt? Because it's my favorite film of that year. <laughs> uh, really? Of yeah. that year? That's, that, that's for another time. <laughs> that's another <laughs> conversation we'll talk about offline. Um, anyway. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, no, I um. God, now I'm thinking of all the movies that are coming out that year. Sorry, um, but no, um, <laughs> I I think I think about <laughs> with this movie, Emma hits it right on the head. I I don't think he, I mean, obviously you could tell with like the the bullet shot or the chamber shot that that he's very heightened and aware of it. I think it's sort of what interest. What's interesting to me about it, it is this unspoken agreement between him and his wife, right? That she knows who he is. She knows what he's capable of. And it's sort of, we never see it. And I like that we never see a lot of it too. It's it's really unspoken things that he is not the man that she fell in love with because he's not the, the you know, basically the super spy or the fixer for the United States government the way he was. He's become a very slubbish, boring version of himself and he's sort of made this deal as to like her career has blossomed. She's this big real estate agent 
in the film from you can tell from like the poster signs and things and he's working for her dad's company and you know having to deal with her his brother-in-law who's obnoxious as hell um, <laughs> that he is having to do a lot of compromising here and really sort of hide the fact that this is an achievement and working and doing what he does which is he's the top person in the world I guess you can say for this sort of thing and I find that to be the reason why he pulled back. It's like he's already in sort of a separated relationship with his wife. They have pillows in between one another. They they are very much That was so sad. It's, it's a very it's a very just mundane, regular life. And what spices all of it up is the fact that, you know, it's the little thing that can set you off, right? Is that the daughter in the film, not the son of the daughter still believes in him, still loves him, very child naivete. And it's a little bracelet, right? And he's just like, you know what? I'm sick of it. It's It can't be my job. It can't be the garbage truck. It can't be this. It can't be that. That triggers me off. It's that the one person that does actually care about me, which is my daughter, like mm-hmm. my youngest daughter, who I am her biggest hero. And it's that bracelet that means nothing. He could probably go buy another one. But it's like it's the principle of it, right? And that's the, the thing about all the John Wick movies are – a lot of action films in general. It's always the stupid principle of it all and the rules and everything. And it sets it off. And it's and it sort of, there is that moment when he goes to the intruder's house, finds them, and he realizes what he's doing and he sort of stops. And then he's on his way home. And yeah, then it sort of spirals from there on. Um, I don't think that this movie is, you know, abdicating for like triggered young, but it's not like a Joker, right, Matt? It's not like that. This movie, that movie is very much trying to talk about mental health and, and doing it in, in ways that a lot of people were, were very offended by. I don't think this movie is very offensive. No, that's what I was mentioning before yeah. when I said, like, it's harmless. And then I, like, stopped myself and I was like, oh, no, there's a lot of harm committed in this yeah. movie. But that is kind of what I was saying was that the movie, um, you know, it, it makes me ask questions, but it's not enough to make me say this movie is wrong and should not be existing in the world and don't go see it. And I don't condone movies like this. No, it's not getting me to that moralistic like high ground of principle where I'm like riding this great white stallion, you know, <laughs> telling yeah. the world what movies they should watch. No, 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 no. Uh, this is just a movie that is a mindless, fun action film, plain and simple. I feel like this is like Red 3 at this point, retired and extremely dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fair. I think, I, I think also too, like it is interesting that, I mean, Movies like this trigger a response um, based off of events. And I mean, obviously, I'm a big advocate for um, against gun violence, right? I don't want to see these atrocities continue to happen. And it's the one mostly good thing about the pandemic is we haven't had schools open. So school shootings haven't occurred and all these different things. And yet, right as we're starting to open things back up, three of them, you know, sort of occur within a couple months span. And we're reminded of this. And then we have idiot politicians going out there saying, well, why do we talk about this every time there's one? And they sort of squash the rhetoric. But a movie like this, and I'm not saying it's your fault, Matt, or or anyone's fault for thinking this. Movies hit us in an emotional way. That we see that on a screen and we have a response, especially with the world's events hitting us. And I think that that it's interesting. I never thought about this uh, when I was watching that film. 
but I think that that's you've made good points. I don't think that obviously film or video games or music or whatever triggers all this. There's deep, deeper, fundamental things that need to be changed on a government level. But the fact that we have to have these conversations when a movie comes out because our government officials won't be responsible enough to just do it on their own. And so we have to keep the conversation going in our movies and in our culture. I think that that's a really interesting thing to say. I don't think the intention of the director and the writer was anything more to make a fun escapist action film. I agree. And I, But I remember back when I was a kid and 9-11 happened and they moved a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger and a bunch of other action films out of the way and off the slate because of the response to a traumatic event. Yeah. And we're going to have Godzilla beating up Kong very soon and all these different things. Uh, you even had uh, the trailer for Suicide Squad come out in the last week or whatever. You know, action films are always a part of our thing. And there's been action films for forever. I always go back to a director that Matt knows that I, I talk about a lot in Quentin Tarantino. And they asked his actor, Sam Jackson, uh, about violence in films and Tarantino. And he says, oh, I've talked about this so many times, but I'm going to give you an answer that you can finally just shut up about. I watched Kung Fu movies my entire life. I watched samurai films. You didn't see people going around with samurai swords and, and all these stuff, you know, out in the streets and, and everything. Violence has always been a part of films and culture. It's the the people that misinterpret this or maybe take a little piece of that and they and it pushes them over the edge. And we need to worry about that instead of worrying about should movies like this get made because they've been made for since the dawn of time. I mean, the great train robbery or whatever that the 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 black and white film is one of the earlier ones uh was it? i mean that's basically like robbers you know going on a train and and, and and stealing all that i mean wings is about airplanes you know and 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 fighter pilots so i mean it's been around for such a such a long time to to use violence uh uh, it, it's it's more cautionary, I guess you could say, right, Matt? I mean, totally, absolutely, and I I, I do apologize, but only because I no, feel I like this is not where I this is not where I intended to take the review necessarily. But at the same time, I'm um, I'm loving this conversation, and I like that we're uh, talking about it within the context of this film, like using it as like the springboard to talk about these other issues. But if I am going to just uh, then tie it back to the movie now. Um, I will also say that in terms of Odenkirk's performance itself, I really love that he's delivering a weathered, tired, but still tough performance and not one that um, I would consider to be uh, of parody or anything like that. But it's completely believable. And I, I equate it to what we have seen in Barry, where Bill Hader is someone that you know is very relatable and can be, you know, funny at times. But when he turns on that dark and serious uh, tone, you fully buy into it, even though he's not like Mr. You know, Mr. Muscular or has like these brooding features or anything like that. And with Odenkirk here, his performance has to be pretty damn good to get us to believe that and i really do fully believe it i think the scene especially where he uh walks into the russian club to negotiate with the um <laughs> with the crime lord boss i can't remember his uh his name in the movie 
but uh Julian, I think. Julian, there you go. When he has that uh mm-hmm. conversation with him across the table, man, like I, I was fully bought in into what Odenkirk was doing and I, I really believed it. And the fact that he like ruined everything for Julian like half an hour before then. <laughs> and he was like, You got some balls to come in here and he was like yeah i do just wait till you see what i did to all of your art and your money and this and that yeah he was yeah never at any point you know we we mentioned this earlier but you know it would be really unrealistic if you look at this man who um i i'm not sure i i don't know how old bob old odenkirk is but it would be really unrealistic if he would like keep bouncing back and like ball of energy like after he takes one too many punches no he is like gets down on that ground and he stays down for some time and like you see that he's in pain i mean he on the bus scene in particular like Mm -hmm. he's taking on five six guys who are definitely much younger than him and they're having a hard time like getting back up so you can imagine how hard it is for him but like just the amount of time he takes to kind of recuperate and maybe like get another burst of energy, another burst of anger to like lash out against them. All of that like felt real. And, you know, looking at it, you're like, wow, Bob Odenkirk can do some damage. Like he can, he can do this. I'm totally, I believe everything that's going on right now. And I I just kept thinking like, is he okay? Is everything okay? He has so much much blood on his face. Oh my God, are we going to ruin his career with this? And credit to uh, uh, Nyshuler here because the action choreography is chaotic and messy, (laughs) but it's also clearly edited so it's like it's not fancy in terms of you know them doing the moves and it looking like it was really choreographed but the camera work is very smooth it doesn't have a lot of edits it's very clear choreography that definitely is hard to capture because a lot of times i feel like when i'm watching action films i i I genuinely feel like i'm watching stunt people not behave realistically in the moment it feels like everyone's just waiting for their cues sometimes Mm -hmm. and i think it takes a really really skilled action director to capture that in a way because it is all smoke and mirrors you know they're not really hitting each other or if they are it's not that hard and it's all about how you utilize the camera how you change the frame rate ever so slightly how you edit the sequence what angles you capture it from etc and especially that bus sequence. That bus sequence is so incredibly well done uh, to the point that in terms of like the action in the movie, I know there's a, another big uh, action scene uh, later on involving uh, firearms. But that bus sequence uh, is definitely, you know, going to go down as like one of the best sequences, uh, action sequences of the year for me. And it's so contained in, like, such a tiny space, too. I mean, you think of a bus and, like, how wide it is and just how much space there is between seats and the aisle. And, like, all of that just came into play in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. And, by the way, Bob Odenkirk is 58 years old, which, to put it into retrospect, Keanu Reeves is 56 years old. So there's only a two-year, or, you know, differential between the two, and yet... You feel the miles on Odenkirk. I mean, it's also a very more like rusty character, right? Yeah. To come off. You can feel like John Wick just basically retired. And this guy has been retired for years because of his children. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yeah, you have him still doing sort of like wickish style of like coming into the, the apartment, you know, all, you know, 
you know, really creepily like, and, and then going on that bus. And I love when he gets thrown out of the bus and then he just yeah. is like, you know what? One more minute, you know, before, mm-hmm. before I give you your bus back and goes in there and, and, and just keeps going. And yeah, once he sort of builds up, I mean, this movie does a cardinal sin, by the way, in that um, he uh, the way that the house is burned down uh, later on in the, in the film, he uh, burns uh, one of the most immaculate uh, record collections in history. And um, <laughs> I will uh, never forgive uh, the writer and director for this because uh, that's a it's a big no, no. You don't burn music like that. Or like how great would it have been? It, I, like as he's getting ready to do it, he just like goes and he just takes one off and he walks out with just that one record <laughs> Matt like imagine imagine Matt like you're in a uh, you're Bob Odenkirk here right yep. he's you and just just inject him into your life you have all these skills and everything you're retired and whatnot and you have all these people coming in your apartment and you've got them on your couch in, in your small apartment in New York right yep and which by the way that scene is great when like Odenkirk is talking to the bad guys and then they like all just die that is the 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 kind of actor you want for that. A guy that can understand comedy, can stay serious within the moment, really feels all very genuine there. That's mm-hmm. why you have Bob Odenkirk in this role. He's but scary good. Um, imagine, Matt, instead of records, that was your Criterion collection. I would I I I, I that would I mean, be that would be the worst like Thing ever. <laughs> I would listen. All I'm saying is that if I was acting in that scene, I would tell the director, listen, I'm going to have a single teardrop. OK, and you can yeah. tell me if you want to keep it or not. But this is how I feel like my character would really react in this situation. <laughs> and then and then I would probably go and grab the third man Blu-ray and I'd be like, <laughs> OK, I'm good. <laughs> I think you would probably be like, okay, before I do this, does anybody have a packing box so I can just put yeah. all of them out? I wouldn't even do that. I'd probably just take the whole shelf and I would just yeah. like carry the whole entire shelf out. Like paint it to make it look like it's a 3D illusion of them, but it's not no even. Answer. I would just hold it with both hands and I would have it horizontal across like <laughs> both my arms and I would have it so that the criterions were facing up so the back uh, board would hopefully not fall out from underneath and then I would just like walk out the whole show. <laughs> this is the same level of thinking that I would put in to losing. So it's it's totally fair. Um, Spe- speaking of same level of uh, thinking, mm-hmm. uh, who who was the genius mm-hmm. that decided we need to cast Christopher Lloyd in this movie and we need to make him into a badass? <laughs> I was just about to say, if you're impressed by Bob Odenkirk at 58, well, look at Christopher Lloyd gunslinging at, I don't even know how old 82. he is. 82. 82. Wow. Wow. Imagine. I, I, I don't remember the last time I saw Christopher Lloyd in a movie where he had like this kind of a impact on me and and i and i i'm not saying an emotional like impact like i'm crying or something but more just any kind of impact and i think that's mostly because he's had a lighter profile uh over these last few years or any of his higher profile projects that you know someone might be yelling about right now as i'm saying this they might be saying well matt like you know he was in this and i just might not have seen it but I feel like I haven't seen Christopher Lloyd in something since Angels in the Outfield, personally. Like, it feels like forever since I've last seen him. No, I mean, that's that's very fair. I'm, like, looking at his filmography right now, and I'm just like, yeah, he, he hasn't done a lot. Um, but I know that he's, you know, he's mostly moved, uh, I think, 
behind the camera as like a as like a producer of stuff and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, we talked a lot about gun violence and it's a very serious subject. But also, we got Doc Brown uh, looking like he's coming back from the old west with shotguns ablazing. I mean, he so much fun was so good in this movie, Matt. <laughs> Like, that nursing I, I, home scene in particular, like I mean, that's like, oh, my like, oh my god, yes, god. incredible. When he shows up to the plant at the end with Odenkirk, it's just like, yeah, this is this is great. It's like it's great casting. Duo. And that's the thing too is that like we 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 talk about the casting of Odenkirk and how brilliant that casting choice is. I, you know, like I said, what what an incredible decision to cast Christopher Lloyd. And have him take on a role where, you know, at first, at first glance, you're thinking, oh, it's Christopher Lloyd. It's nice seeing him again. Cool. You know, and you don't really think much of it. And then there's a development that happens. And then you're like, whoa, Christopher Lloyd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I was not expecting that. Well, there's that. And then uh, I'm assuming we can spoil this, Matt. Um, because it's, it, 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 it's a little bit of a spoiler, but it, you know, it's a little surprise, I guess you could say, um, when the RZA shows up mm-hmm. and, and it's like, oh yeah. And then you find out I had to, I had to go and look this up when I was looking up stuff and, cause the film doesn't explain, I don't believe it explains that the RZA is Bob Odenkirk's half brother. Yeah, they the don't. Film. They don't explain this. I don't really. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I look. Some things are left unsaid, and that's look, fine. <laughs> the fact that the Riz is in this is great. Like the, the like, and and also I knew it was his voice. Like the minute, well, also it's in the credits, but I like I knew it was his voice the minute they sort of had their sort of like off, you know, the mic, different, you know, conversations. But when he shows up too, it's like a big old family affair. And it's just like a lot of fun. It reminds me of the Halle Berry sequence uh, in John Wick Chapter 3, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's just like there's so much going on. These three people are very specific in their set of skills. Uh, no Liam Neeson pun intended. <laughs> and just going going to town on these guys. And yeah, like I said, using like mousetraps and, uh, you know, all these different things. Like it felt like. It felt like Bob Odenkirk's Hutch was the grown-up Kevin McAllister if he started working for the CIA or the FBI or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, because he's just using all like MacGyver, you know, MacGruber style, whatever you want to use uh, tactics to kill all these guys, and it's and it's a lot of fun. It's just a lot of fun to see these guys go to town on these on these Russian mobsters. So yeah, it is really funny to see like. You know, another plot point is him wanting to buy this um, family business and like let his father in law retire and his brother in law do whatever he wants since he's so annoying. Um, and like the sign outside says, We have electrical problems. The place is going to be closed for a few days. We're turning it into a death factory. That's what we're doing. We're <laughs> launching like spears at people inside this factory. That's what the electrical issues are. <laughs> but yeah, I. Definitely the last act is obviously where everything goes down, um, where our family comes together. Um, but yeah, just the, the casting in this was very surprising in a lot of ways, but it worked in a lot of ways too. And I mean, I just love that nursing home sequence where the two 
Russian hitmen try to take take on Christopher Lloyd and they think, oh, this is going to be an easy job. This man is sleeping, but he is just like full of surprises. And I love that. I mean, I love seeing when that, whenever you see like an older actor who you're like, oh, what kind of role is this for them? And then it does end up surprising you and like really working because, I mean, he can play anything. We know him from his comedy roles and just the iconic roles that he's played. And this is just another another nod to him where we just have this legend with us. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. Okay, so now for final thoughts for nobody, anything that we did not mention that you want to mention, tossing it over first to Ryan. Yeah, I love the fact that he takes, as he's burning all the money, he takes a Van Gogh. <laughs> Um, and, uh, cause that's exactly what I would do. And like my wife pointed out, she's like, shout out to Bob Odenkirk for the tastes. Like, like, good for him. And I'm like, yeah, honey, exactly. I, I go for the Criterion. He goes for the Van Gogh. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think the Van Gogh could fund the Criterion, but that's just, you're probably that. right. You're probably right. I would go for the Van Gogh. I love, I, this villain is terrible. Yeah, that was one of my final notes too. The villain is awful. Has like this karaoke scene. Uh, oh God, and, I forgot about that. My co-host Jay Ledbetter and I reviewed this movie, Matt, for mm-hmm. extra film. He said that character should have been played by like a Mads Mikkelsen to make it actually decent rather than some guy who like we don't even have an attachment to well the thing is that like this actor apparently is really popular in russia sure but and and this this probably should have served as a breakout role for him the same way that casino royale was for mads mickelson for american audiences but the villain itself like the actual character is not memorable he's conventional russian mobster 101 and there's literally nothing about him that is distinguishable or memorable in any way, shape, or form. And that was a bit of a letdown because your protagonist is only as good as the antagonist. And that could have raised the movie a whole point higher for me yeah. is if I was really, really bought into the dynamic between this uh, rivalry that was going on between these two characters. And I wasn't at all. Thank God for Odenkirk for carrying the movie on his shoulders because that's how much heavy lifting he is having to do with this. Yeah, no. I for, he was so bruised. No, yeah, <laughs> no, for <laughs> sure. I love that scene where he where he's karaoke though, and he sees Bob Odenkirk. He's like enjoying your meal, and like he's eating the steak. Like, he, like, like Emma said, he's just like, yeah, I, I burned all your money. I don't have, I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like, I'm <laughs> just doing whatever I want. I will say, Connie Nielsen, she's good for what she's given, but I still think the character could have been fleshed out more. Oh yeah. Afterthought, pure afterthought. Yeah, very afterthought. Um, you know, but she does have a good couple of scenes early on with Odenkirk, right. To establish their relationship, the backstory, a little bit of like what he's had to sacrifice. Um, you know, and then the other thing too is, and this is shout out to my wife. She had a lot of great comments during this movie. Um, the fact of, Right as they're about to eat dinner and he makes this what looked like to be a very delicious lasagna, uh, they come and uh, break up dinner time, to, you know, the tactical team by the bad guy. And the fact that he tells them all to go to the basement, my wife looked and said, I would be taking that lasagna and three forks down to the basement while he's killing all these guys. There is no <laughs> way I'm leaving that on the table. She's like, I'm eating that lasagna. 
I don't know they how long they're going to be down there. They were down there for a while, too. They were down yeah. there for a while. Don't call 911, but enjoy your lasagna. Exactly. <laughs> like, look, it looked really good. So a uh, little bit of a, you know, discount for, for or just a little bit of just shaving off of a point or something there maybe for not letting them eat lasagna. Hashtag lasagnas matter. All right. They, they really do, guys. Like. <laughs> It did serve a purpose, though. I mean, he shoved like a guy's face in that lasagna. So that is true. It was still, it was still hot, you it's, know. Yeah, yeah. It's still hot. At least the dead guy got a, his slice. At least he got I guess, a nice meal. You know? The lasagna was put to good use. Mm-hmm. Was. Emma, what about you? Um, I have to agree with the the antagonist. I'm I'm so over, and I know it's a typical movie trope. I'm really over seeing the bad guy being some Russian person. Like, uh, let's for a while, and then now it's like on the uptick. I know, and uh, I guess you know it all has probably been influenced by politics of the last few years, but also just history in general. Um, so when I saw that it was moving in that direction, I kind of was like, oh, here we go again. Let's see what this Russian bad guy is like. And he's just like a really weird <laughs> karaoke lounge singer who like shows up for like 15 seconds to dance and sing. And then he goes and like slices someone's neck with a martini glass. So, I mean, at least he had a little bit of sass going for him. Um, but yeah, I could have. Any, I felt like that was a role that literally anybody else could have filled, and any other nationality could have filled for that for that matter too. Um, so it was kind of a lackluster uh, pairing, as you guys mentioned. Um, and I thought that the ending was kind of cute, you know, when they're both like, "Does the house have a basement?" Knowing that, uh oh, this isn't the last that we have seen of these crazy action-packed weekends and days for Bob Odenkirk. So I thought it was like a nice touch at the end. Um, I'm happy that I got to see it in a movie theater. I think that added to the overall experience. And I'm sure a lot of people also enjoyed it for that too, just finally getting out of the house. Um, and and yeah, I, I kind of missed these action movies. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. Yeah, my last note here is I really appreciated the lively soundtrack for this movie. I thought that it helped the energy and the flow of everything, even if the story wasn't really captivating me at times. Uh, So it's interesting how there are these pluses and these minuses for me. And as I started off saying in the very, very beginning, I do feel like a part of me is grading a little bit on a curve here because of that theatrical experience, because of the fact that we've been deprived of these movies for uh, pretty much a year at this point. And at the end of the day, if you liked Hardcore Henry and just how absolutely batshit insane that movie was with its action, its pacing, then nobody is going to be um, a different kind of vibe, obviously, because it's not a POV uh, video game-esque like action movie like Hardcore Henry was, but it still has that level of energy, that same level of enthusiasm, and Bob Odenkirk is absolutely awesome in this movie. He's a pure badass. So I think I'm landing at a soft 7 out of 10 for this one. Ryan, what about you? Um, I think I'm going to give it a six. Okay. And I think it's a very strong six. Like I know people are going to go like, Oh wow. It's like close to, you know, five. it's more, 
I know you don't give halves, Matt, and I agree with you. Halves don't exist. Um, but I, I, I think I would, I think I would give it like a six and a half if I had to, but I give it more of a six just because it's, it's not saying anything particularly new. No. It's just a lot of fun. And yeah. so, um, you know, this is a great conversation and everything, but I, I think that a six is, is a perfect placement for that in the, in the strongest sense. Yep. Emma, what about you? I would have to agree. I would give it a six as well. Um, just the typical action movie that a lot of us haven't seen for, you know, this last year that we've likely missed and we've missed seeing, you know, the typical tropes and movies and knowing where the movie is going to go. Um, and it's, it's fun. It's fun at the end of the day, but nothing, nothing totally new with this one compared to the thousands of others that have been released. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that we will get a sequel at some point. That is my, I'm down gut feeling and yeah and the reason why i'm down is because i think that a lot of the characters as you mentioned before um i would love to see more christopher lloyd i would like to see them flesh out connie nielsen a bit more and give her more to do and i think that this movie serves as a solid foundation to allow for that to happen which would make the sequel better and then if they really want to because you know they probably will they'll make a third one and that will either have the ability to be the best one at that point or it'll be eh, a little bit worse than the second one, and then they'll probably stop making these because that's just the way that this—that's just the way that this usually goes in Hollywood, right? Usually they have right. three in mind, and they don't really go beyond that unless if you're the Mission Impossible franchise, and you know you're—you really are a, a real life uh, superhero like Tom Cruise is. <laughs> and he yells at you to wear your damn mask. We're trying to save Hollywood. (laughs) Trying to save cinema. (laughs) So do you guys think that the sequel is going to be called Somebody then? Oh, my God. And then the third one, Anybody? Anybody? Or it's called called Still Nobody. Still Nobody. (laughs) Less than Nobody. (laughs) Oh, there's so many ways they can go with this. It could be like a before trilogy sort of like, you know, titles of like anyone... Oh, what if they like just separate it and they call it instead of nobody, they call it no body. Yeah. Oh, like no bodies. Yeah. No. Oh, no bodies. I like that actually. Well, no, because then that would apply that there would be no dead bodies. Or or that they've gotten rid of the bodies. Oh, there's no. There you go. I like that. Kind of like uh, like what they did in Breaking Bad. (laughs) <laughs> it's a good callback to that with like, like melt the bodies. So, anyway, I love that we're talking about the sequel potential be- instead of the Oscar potential because normally we do that at the end of every review. But let's just face it, there's no no Oscar potential I, here. Good <laughs> oh no, I, I totally think this is clearly the front runner for Best Picture next year. It's this and the it's Snyder Cut, and you know, <laughs> right where we're at. I mean, these are no. I'm just kidding. Uh, I would say maybe sound. Like the sound and it's really good. Like I highly doubt that now that we have only one category. Yeah, that's true. But you know, usually action films like this would have at least squeaked in in the old in the old days, right, Matt? Maybe like one or two. But the only possibility special effect. No, and that is if it is an extremely extremely weak ass year. The only thing I can possibly say, and and even this, I, I'm like, I'm going to slap myself after I say this out loud because it just sounds so ludicrous, say it. is say it. Bob Odenkirk, Golden Globe, comedy musical. Oh, I thought you were going to go Christopher Lloyd. And I was just like, yes, please, let's do that. <laughs> like Golden answer. Globe, Christopher Lloyd. I do feel like I do feel like Bob Odenkirk will make that uh, crossover 
at some point into, you know, the um, film award season. Uh, it, I, this is obviously not the vehicle to do it. This is actually the first time that I can recall that he's leading uh, a movie like this instead of being a supporting player. So yeah. maybe this will serve as a springboard uh, for something else um, later down the road, if anything, uh, because he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that wants to be a franchise person. Uh, he does strike me more as somebody who likes being in those bit roles in The Post, Nebraska, Little Women. And I think he'll keep working with directors like that. And I'm sure he'll keep popping up in these Oscar uh, projects. And I'm sure that at some point, the right role, the right time, it's going to it's gonna come together, I think, at some point. Yeah, no, I, I, I want to I wanna see him in more things. And I think as... Better Call Saul is wrapping up. I think that that's a big possibility. I think so, too. Uh, We saw it happen with Cranston when Breaking Bad ended. He was being cast in a lot of stuff in Hollywood uh, once that movie was uh, wrapping. uh, That show was wrapping. And I think the same thing will uh, happen here as well. Mm. So we look forward to seeing it happen. Ryan, where can I find you on the Internet? And thank you very much for being here today. Thank you for having me on, Matt. It was wonderful to talk to you and Emma about this movie i talked to somebody about this movie not nobody um you can find me on the internet at ryan mcquade 77 on twitter and on instagram you can find my work over at in session film as well as over at awards watch and emma thank you so much for being back on the show again tell everyone that's listening where they can find you on the internet Thank you, Matt. It's always a pleasure to be on here, and it was so nice meeting you, Ryan. Um, I'm on Twitter at Emma underscore Sasek, and um, since the URL is really long, I have the link to my work in, on my Twitter profile. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Nobody here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, let us know. Drop us a comment. Rate us five stars. Anything less than that is kind of unacceptable, so don't do it. And if you want to support our Patreon, head on over to patreon.com, next best picture. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And we shall see you all next time. slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time (gasps) no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details